This is the A-B Testing 343 Podcast, a podcast where we ask one of the three listeners of the A-B Testing Podcast three questions about almost anything. ABT 343 is a fun slice of what's going on in the world of modern testing. Let's get started. Welcome everybody to the ABT 343 Podcast. I'm joined once again by one of the three listeners, uh, Arati Panu. Did I say that yes. well? Yes. You, you did your best. I, as you can tell, I've been practicing. Very uh, active member of our community. Uh, someone who is, I would maybe even call a fan of modern testing, but someone Correct. Uh, not just a fan, but someone who's uh, pragmatic and practices some of the principles. So looking forward to hearing some stories from her today. So welcome, Arati. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for having me. Yeah, these are fun. I'm I'm slowly getting better at these. I'm hoping that over time these end up being maybe even more exciting than Brent and I yelling at each other. Oh, we wouldn't be listening <laughs> if you were not yelling at each other. If it was a polite, formal conversation, I think we would just skip it. <laughs> good call, good call. So uh, as you know, the format for today is I'll ask you three questions and mm-hmm. you'll give me three answers and then three minutes later we're done. No pressure. Say whatever you want. I might ask some clarifying questions and we'll see what happens. Um, are you ready for your questions? I am ready to rumble. Okay, let's first we'll turn to politics. No, just kidding. <laughs> so uh, I already mentioned you have some good interest in modern testing and some and some examples. So what are some ways you have seen or experienced modern testing in your work? I would say that I experienced this the other way around. Um, I started listening to the podcast about a year ago or 18 months ago, and the principles were already there. So I read them. I thought, hmm, these things make sense. Um, they seem to be reasonable things. Um, but I really didn't know if they applied to me or whatever I did. And then as I kept listening to the podcast, I realized that um, I went from um, traditional tester into modern tester, and that was about five years ago. Can you talk more about that transition? Because it just doesn't happen overnight. No, no. And I really, really struggled with that. Um, So a bit of history. Um, I'm working at SAP. It's a big software company here in Germany and worldwide. And I started working, I got hired to work as a tester um, in a very small product that was doing cloud things, which were not very common at the time. And I really liked doing the testing. I really like finding bugs. I really like blogging bugs. I really like having this um, deep knowledge of the product. But as I kept on working there and my role was evolving and changing, I realized that I didn't have so much time for testing. I was doing other things. And although my manager appreciated that, my colleagues appreciated that, I hated that because I wanted to do testing. And it took me a long time to come to terms with the fact that it's not only testing. And after listening to the podcast and reading the principles, I said, this is what happened to me. Because to come to terms with the fact that I'm not only testing, but I'm doing all the other things as well, it, it took time. It was not uh, from one day to the other. So, so what are some of those other things you ended up doing? I think one of the major things is how to um, to have our deployment pipeline running in a meaningful way. I think that was the first thing that got my attention. They were running all sorts of checks. They were 
huge jobs running things. They would break. Nobody would know what it meant that it broke. My first job was to clean this up. The other thing that I was doing um, had to do with compliance. And back then, to, to be compliant as an SAP product, really entitled lots of paperwork, screenshots, what have you. And to find a way to make that meaningful for our small product, that also took time. And also the developers had objections to some things, some quality things imposed, and how to bring them to the company, that also took effort. So the, the role evolved from testing a feature to looking into the overall quality of what we're doing and why. There were many things that we did wrong, but I think overall, it was a pretty good experience. That's cool to hear. And it, it just brought up so many thoughts in my mind. Uh, recently, I've been talking to Brent more and more about how I see DevOps, the DevOps, whether it's a role or a concept or a culture. I think that influences accelerating the achievement of quality a lot. It sounds like you were doing some things that would helping to accelerate the team. And then also that testing is, and I also have a long career doing testing, and it is one way to reduce risk and help the team move faster, but it's not the only way. No, uh, but as I said, that took me a lot of time to realize that, that I, I was resistant to the idea of, now I have to do all these other things that annoy me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I didn't want to handle, you know, compliance so things. What, I but uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I some, of the, some of them were useful, not all of them, not all of them maybe, not to the degree that we want them to be, but there were some useful ideas there. And we had to take the best of what we had and do the best for the quality of our product and then just complain about it or ignore it. These were hard realizations, but this is also what the team and the product needed. And I'm just kind of curious, how did you get over that hump? What was the, like, you didn't like it. Um, no. And do you like it now? Or you still um, prefer to do mostly now, testing? Uh, now I understand it, but... um. I think I didn't fully, I, I liked some of the things, but I think that it helped me that I went on parental leave and then I stepped back. And when I looked at it from afar, I saw the value of it. While I was in it, I cannot really say that I appreciated it that much. But when I stepped back and I saw what was happening, and then it hit me that it's the rest of the things. It's not only testing, it's all of the things together that bring value. Um, yes. But while I was in it, I cannot say that I had this revelation or, um, but stepping back helped me a lot. This is actually a really good story to hear because I think when we, you know, we talk about modern testing, a lot of people have uh, already been on the journey or they can't imagine the journey or they're in the middle of it. And there are a lot of, you know, a lot of our listeners are career testers and there may be quite a few who are in that same boat. They're seeing the role change and they're not sure if they like it or not. And mm. it, and just realizing that's okay. And I think the directions you can go from being a, someone who's mostly dedicated or entirely dedicated to testing into a more broader role. Uh, there's quite a few different directions you can go. Of course, I talked about DevOps, but there's also something we talk about quite a bit with, I believe principle number seven and maybe five to some extent is the role of the quality coach. I know you've done some quality coaching at SAP. Uh, yeah. Tell me about, tell all of us about that role and, and what you liked and didn't like about that and how that went, what your activities um, were, those kinds of things. Yeah, so coming back from parental leave, I had this time to reflect of 
what happened in the last five years. So then there was a newly built department at the time um, called Cloud Quality Coaching. And the purpose of the department was to go to development teams. The coaches, we go to development teams for one or two months and work with them, not only with the quality people, but the whole team, how to improve their quality. Um, some teams called us that we have a quality problem and then we would have to go in and analyze what the problem was. Sometimes there were people that were doing excellent job and they just wanted some, um, some conversation to see if they can do anything better. And my role in that was mainly to coach people in a quality role, which they had huge experience in releasing products on-premise or with big cycles. But to come to this fast-paced world was something new to them. And my role was to calm them down, to help them a bit, be helpful for their teams. Ah, uh, the quality uh, therapist role. The quality therapist. It, it, it was kind of a therapist mentoring sessions because these were people really experienced with testing and setting things up and they were good when it came to testing. But it was this transition to the cloud world that needed a bit of work, let's say. And most of them were really embracing the change. I can't say that I found somebody that said, no, this is my turf. Um, testing is my thing and I don't want anybody near it or quality is my thing. I think they were all or most of them were, were very open to the change. That's good to hear, because when I think about, uh, I have stories about people who <laughs> had expertise, but they had no, they wanted to keep that expertise close to themselves because it was job security. And mm. uh, I'm glad that isn't the case there. So what were some of the, believe it or not, this is just the second question. I just have sub-questions because it's tangents are part of A-B testing. Do you have a couple of examples of things you helped teams do? I'm just kind of, I want a little bit more, trying to understand a little bit more about what this role was. So what would you, what was an example of something you would help a team do? Example that helped the team too. Um, as I said, I was mainly working with people in the quality role. So one was to set some kind of boundaries. Um, there were many things that were requested of them because in the old world, the, the quality person was responsible for everything. To help them distribute some of the, of the work was one thing I, I worked with them with. Um, because until now, it was all their domain. They were the quality assurance people. I but like that. they needed to delegate some things. They needed to help others take the responsibility for some things. This is perfect timing to talk to you. I don't know if you listened to the last A-B testing podcast yet, but I talked... Not in, yet, no. I, good, well, I, um, I talked in there about how I'm discovering that one of the things I want to get better at is coaching coaches and really if you're coaching people who are then working on delegating other work you're you're coaching coaches too in that role yes that that was the point that we as we were a central team our quality coaching team was a central team so we would go in and leave but the main idea was when we leave that the team was more enabled to take care of quality on their own and people in a quality role were still needed in those teams, but they needed to adapt their role. I like it. I like it. Did you have, uh, I have way back, like 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago at Microsoft, okay. uh, I'm feeling old. I was doing a lot of talking around the company and, and organizing meetings of the senior testers. And in fact, that's where, that's where Brent and I first started hanging out. And... One of the things I toyed with for a while was if this same idea. Should we have 
this quality consultant, quality coach role? And would that be a better way to scale the relatively few number of senior testers we had at Microsoft? It never happened, but I think maybe the world wasn't ready for it. I think in today's world, in a more cloud-based org, I can see uh, I can see good reason. For, I see good reasons why this would work, um, and and probably some reasons why it wouldn't work. Some reasons that it wouldn't work because you go for um, um, for a fixed amount of time. So what we struggled a bit about is how do we keep up the work? So we would go in, come out, and then what happened next? And to keep track of that, uh, we we struggled a bit there. And as I said, my my part was to coach this quality transition. Um, but there were other coaches in our team that focused, let's say, on automation. They helped the teams decide a bit better on their test strategy what to test where instead of <laughs> doing Selenium from end-to-end tests. It's not only about Selenium, just trying to automate something um, from end-to-end with all kinds of scenarios, basically scripting what they had as manual regression tests. So there were colleagues that we were helping cut down the tests and do a more meaningful automated test strategy. I'm imagining um, me as a as a, a quality coach there, and I go in and tell teams to get rid of all their selenium. Maybe not. The yeah, <laughs> that does. Yeah, that 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 would be problematic. <laughs> uh, but that would be maybe some interesting discussion of how we define integration tests and who is doing tests, and oh, that's a whole new. <laughs> Yeah, I, I tweeted. Kind of worms. As you know, I, I know you've listened long enough to know I have my beefs with, not with Selenium, the language, but with the overuse of Selenium. Lately, I mentioned this in a, in a few tweets, and I'll, I'll probably mention it in a podcast sometime, but I'm slowly changing my tune on not writing any. I think teams still write too much automation at, at the UI level for web stuff. But mm-hmm. I'm thinking with tools like Mabel or Autify or Testem, I think the ability to write reliable cross-browser tests is getting easier. Those are tools that use a little bit of ML to, to try and track when things are changing versus having to go um, up, update and all I your think selectors. They, they reply different question than the ones that, let's say, traditionally these yeah. end-to-end tests were replying. Right, right. And I, I just I still want as few of those as possible. Just like you know when Cohn wrote that pyramid, <laughs> and we're way off in the tangent, he said, and everybody ignores this part, and I underline it eight times every time I see it, which is, at the top part, those end-to-end tests, write as few of these as possible. Yeah. So and that, that, we, we've, we've, uh, hit a, we've hit a sore spot of me. I, um, when I started this testing job, um, my first task was to automate end-to-end tests from, with QTP. Oh, and I'm so sorry. I, I, Wait, what, yes, what, what, on, on, was this on in 1997? You. When did you do this job? Uh, 2010. Q, QTP is still around? In 2010, it was. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yes. And it was a flex UI for the fun of it. And I am not skilled at coding for my life. Yeah. So after playing with it for a while, I said, do you have anything else for me to do? Because this is not going to work. And I was lucky because a developer in the team wrote a DSL so I could test on API level. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The sound you're about to hear is the sound of me hitting my head on my desk. Yeah. But as I said, I was lucky. I started working in a team with very good developers that they realized soon enough that this is not going to work because I had no experience in software development. Yeah, and I think I think that's a big part, of, which means you're coaching the developers in a way. The developers, not so much, no. I, I Well, 
I think if you have a team where the developers understand that testing isn't this black hole they go throw this stuff over the wall to, they immediately begin begin to understand quality a little bit better. Oh, yeah, okay. When I was working in a development team, I went back to, to being a coach in a central team. No, but uh, yeah, as a tester, quality, QA in a development team, you definitely have to work very close to the developers and operations and sales yes. and business. And you need to coach them all a bit in certain ways. And they coach you. Yes. One of the things I notice as I begin spreading uh, the quality culture quality culture transition guide that, that I wrote and spreading that around Unity was it wasn't just enough to talk about it with development teams. Like a quality culture spans teams that aren't developers of software. I think it does. Quality culture is part of the way sales approaches things. It is part of marketing. Good on and you. The- Documentation. Yes. Every, every, yeah, yeah. Especially documentation. Tran- tran- translation. Um, mm-hmm. You name it. If you don't align more or less the teams together, you don't get very far because you have then different priorities and different goals, different timelines. Yes. Interesting. So you did quality coaching for a while, but yes. uh, you have a new upcoming role. Uh, then I went on parental leave. Oh, and yeah. I looked back. <laughs> Congratulations and again. And I went back and I said, oh, I revised what I'm doing. Um, and I think it was also a lot having to do with listening to the podcast. But I thought, hmm, how can I really affect quality? And there was a product owner job being available in the company. And I thought, hmm, why don't I try this side now? So starting January, I'm going to be a product owner in some uh, of our internal tools. And oh, interesting. So uh, go on a little bit. I have many questions. Yeah, the, the main tool that I will start with, what it wants to do is we have all these pipelines. All the company has, everybody sets their pipeline. Um, so the tools team is trying to make some kind of unification of the pipelines. You have to be compliant. And there are some checks that you need to have in place. So instead of every team trying to figure out which checks do I need to do, what are the thresholds and all of this, we try to make this standard. So when you start a new product or a new project, so you get the pipeline for free. And what the product I will work on will do is store the data that comes out of these pipelines. One for compliance. This is the the original, you know, the first goal. Um, And the second one is then to come up with some questions of what does this data tell us? So this will start in January. My first question is, and this is just, there's a name for this bias. It's a it's a recency bias where because okay. I'm thinking about something, it's making me think about, is there a pattern here when there may not be? But an internal tool sounds a little bit, do you think there's some overlap there with uh, an infrastructure team or a DevOps team? Um, or am I making I'll, that up? So I don't know. Like, I, I don't understand the question. That's probably because I asked it very poorly. So I recently took over a team, uh, we call our DevOps team, which builds all of our internal tools, uh, including compliance tools, uh, things Mm -hmm. we use in our organization to help us ship software safely and with all the appropriate security tools and compliance tools running in those development pipelines. Could be a different pipeline, different definition of pipeline you're talking about. Is there some similarity there or am I reading too much into that? I think so. we have a central tool um, 
where if you if you go through audit, this is where you display what you have done. This is one of the internal tools. Yes. And the idea is to bring whatever comes out of these pipelines directly into that tool instead of somebody going and uploading um, log files or what have you that comes out of the pipeline. The idea is to automate the whole process. So I guess there is some kind of overlap is taking care of your household tools. You need developers to come up with them yes. and develop them. As someone with a lot of quality and testing experience, what are some things you th- that you think some unique ideas you'll bring as a product owner to something like this? That's a very good question. Um, that's also what I said in my job interview. I said, what will you do as product owner? I said, I don't know. I've never been a product owner. <laughs> I think it was appreciated, the honesty. I think the, the quality perspective um, is, I think it comes to the, to the principles again that the customer is the only one who knows what is good. And now as a product owner, I have the chance to go and speak to these customers and bring their perspective as much as I can to the team. I would say that you will ask, and not just when you meet with them, that any product owner is going to do that. One of the things I see from testers is they they ask better questions. Yes. You ask, first of all, why we should do it. Yes, yes, yes. Why? Now all these whys that I have as a tester, why should we do it? Does it make sense to do this? Um, what problem bring, does it solve? Or what, what, pro- what, what problem do we need to solve? Exactly. And then you also have the input directly from your customers. And then you can bring that to your team. You can bring them, I think you can bring them better data because you try to work more on the questions that you ask the customers. You try to go a bit deeper than the surface. Oh, I want this. Um, and I find this interesting. I don't know if it would work out, but I really find the uh, topic think, interesting. I think it will. And, and, and it's a development team without a quality person inside. Yeah, you'll help them. I, I think what you'll end up doing is you'll be the, you'll be the product owner and the quality coach. Um, I, I don't think so. I think they, are, they have already the quality culture in the team. I think the Scrum Master is doing lots of quality work. Okay. They're what, an established team. One of the things I tell my boss, he asked, how is our team doing at quality and testing? And the thing I always say is they do, they're great. They do all of the testing they know how to do. Hmm. And then my role is to is to broaden that amount of knowledge they have about testing so they do more. They're happy to do testing, but some teams don't know very much beyond unit or functional level testing. So what I try and do, and and people on my team, the coaches on my team, try and help them figure out what some other things. How else would you test your APIs, for example, and come up with some ideas for increasing the breadth of their testing coverage? Yeah, and I think it's something that you said either in the Slack channel or in one of the podcasts. Is what is the worst thing? It really think it's what is the worst thing that can happen, and what is the best thing that can happen. Um, I really like that. And to bring that to the team, I think it's something you can do either from a quality perspective or a product perspective. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to it. I, I am. I'm confident you'll have fun and you'll do very well. Particularly excited because I have I have a particular fondness for a lot of people like to work on those customer facing features. And I've written some of those for customers. I've written a lot of shipping code. I enjoy, for some reason, writing and working on internal tools a lot more. And and one of my favorite questions to always ask, someone would come and ask me for some very specific thing. And time and time again, I would ask them, 
great. What would you do when you had that? Which was my way of asking them what the problem they're trying to solve is. Mm. And often there was already a way to solve it. And I think that comes from my testing background, uh, being able to ask those questions. So uh, I'm excited for you. I want to live a little vicariously through you. I think it should be very interesting. I think you're going to have a good time and do very well. Let's see. I'm I'm really excited now. I, I wish I could start right now. <laughs> I think you'll enjoy some time off first. I will. I'm going on holidays tomorrow. Yes, yes. I know you told me. So, and where are you heading on holiday? Uh, Greece. Going to visit my family. Uh, yeah. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Thank so you. It has been a pleasure talking with you and hearing a little bit more about what you do and a little bit more about modern testing. Is there anything else uh, before I forget, like Twitter handles or blogs or anything else our listeners should know about you? Um, yes, I do have a blog, which is called unremarkabletester.com. And then my Twitter handle is unremarkableqa. And I guess I will change my LinkedIn now profile to unremarkablepo. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really need to somehow consolidate all of this. But anything with Unremarkable, Tester, QA, you will find me. Perfect. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for spending some time with me today. Really enlightening. Really great talking with you. And uh, thanks again for all of your support of the podcast and in the Slack channel. Safe travels and best of luck in your new role. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. All right. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. It took about a year to study Japanese and I could I can get around... Uh, the basics and the same I, I spent a bunch of time in France and I can get around in France I tried to learn German and I, I just couldn't get it to I couldn't do it I had a That's really hard time with it it's the syntax it's the the, the way they they structure the language is and also the pop music is not so so good <laughs> because I learned English through songs recording you know with a cassette next to the TV and Spanish the same way. And then I said, okay, where's the G German pop music? And then you go like, ah, no, 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 no. <laughs> this will not work. That's so funny. I've been here for 10 years. And and because I'm at SAP where everybody speaks English, I'm comfortable not learning more German. And now I have to do it in German. It's really, so a new job in a new language. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I go to our Montreal office a lot and everyone there speaks English. But uh, if you work there full time, they expect you to learn French. Um, they're not expecting it here. They're they're quite nice, but they say, "Come on, you've been here for ten years. Everybody in the team is German. You have to be able to participate at least in the meetings in German, which I can do. But when it comes to details, <laughs> yes, and, and and even when I was at my very best in French, it's my, it's very much faded for me. I I could understand a lot of conversations, but if there were too many details or if they were telling a joke that had, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, just a lot of idiomatic expressions, I had no idea what was going on. And also context. If it's uh, about some commercial in the 80s, it's like, yeah, okay, I don't get the reference. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so oh, well. yeah. now All it's right. in German. I'm going to let you get going. It's uh, Okay. It's later night for you. Have a, uh, have a great holiday. Thank you. I hope I survive. I'm sick. The kids are sick. Oh, no. We're traveling oh, no. tomorrow. That's the problem with <laughs> the, young the three kids. of us. They all, they all get. Yeah, yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I'll have my yeah. mom pick us up from the airport, <laughs> and then I have to do nothing. My mom will do everything. Oh, I'm a grown up. You only have to survive that long. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. It's it's only a two-hour flight. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much again, and uh, we'll, thank you. We'll cross paths again soon. I hope so. All right. Bye bye. <laughs> 